Christ Jesus our Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty God, who has given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common prayers to you, and you who do promise that when two or three are gathered together in your name, you will be in their midst, we pray now that you would come among us, speak to us with your word, set our hearts upon your goodness and your, your great work of salvation for us through Christ, and grant us in this world knowledge of your truth, and in the world to come, life everlasting. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Our first hymn is number 154, Thou Art the Way. Consider our affliction and our trouble, and forgive us our sins, O God. With those words, let us pray our prayer of confession. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth, and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of our youth or our transgressions, according to your steadfast love. Remember us for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, pardon our guilt, for it is great. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. By the authority of Jesus Christ, I declare to you that all who confess their sin and and plead for the mercy of Jesus Christ and who repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all of their sin because God grants that to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. This is the good news of the gospel, so we say together, Praise be to God. 
When God brought the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, in other words, when God redeemed them, he made them his own and he gave them ten commandments, the first of which is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Actually, that's the preface to the Ten Commandments. And then the first commandment says, You shall have no other gods before me. The God who redeems is the God who thereby claims the total total devotion of his people. God redeems us not to just continue living the way we want to live or continuing being, trying to be the Lord of our own lives, but now to be totally committed to him in every way. We do spend the rest of our lives learning what that means as we follow Christ, but that is uh, the claim upon us um, when we are joined to God through Jesus Christ. The, the uh, command goes on and uh, speaks of how we are to have no gods before um, him. The, um, we are to hear this commandment to have no other gods before the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a Christian way of hearing the commandments. So we are to have no other gods, not just instead of God in general and generic, but uh, in, in terms of the God who is the one who sent us, Jesus Christ. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to be our only God. He alone is the one to whom we belong and the one to whom we are to trust and obey in life and death. We are free to love and serve our nation. There are all kinds of loyalties that we have. We have loyalties to our parents, to our families, to our friends, to our nation. But we are not to have a loyalty to them that supersedes our commitment to God. And that's easy to say, but then we find out that we have all these loyalties and that sometimes we do try to elevate them above God. So watch out for that. Be careful for that. You live in a world that wants to pull you into its various kinds of loyalties and to say you need to be committed to this above everything else. Um, and you need to watch out for that because even those, those things may be good in and of themselves, they're not greater than God himself. So we are to love him and obey him and serve him above all other gods. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 149, Teach Me, O Lord, Your Way of Truth. Love, sure. 
righteous judgments I confess To know your precepts I desire You revive me in your righteousness Let us bow our heads in prayer Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son into the world, as the gospel says, not to condemn the world, the world had already been judged, but that the world might be saved through him, that all who believe in him might be delivered from the power of sin and death. O God, make us to understand and rejoice about how great this salvation is, because the power of sin and death are horrendous. And now we thank you that you have poured out the promised Holy Spirit upon us so that we might live in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. That life has begun now. By the power of your Holy Spirit, as part of that life with Christ, we pray for people everywhere. Almighty and everlasting God, we pray for the holy universal church of Jesus Christ in this world, with whom your people are governed and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Receive our supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all members of your church so that in their vocation and service they may truly and devoutly serve you. We pray for the church's unity in witness and service. We pray for the churches. We name the names of the churches right around us here. We pray for Emmanuel Lutheran down the street. We pray for Good Shepherd Baptist that used to meet in this building and is now over on Um, Losser Road or Evergreen Road. We pray for Victory Life Fellowship. We pray for their pastors and elders and deacons and the people they serve and their members. We also pray for those in our own presbytery. Today we pray for Stephen Pribble and Doug Bilsma, who are pastors in Lansing and in Ontario, respectively, and for the other ministers and members of this church. Here are our prayers for them, O God. We do pray for our missionaries, and we remember Hiro Hakobor and his family and the church churches in, the, in Ukraine. Here are our prayers for the missionaries and pastors and churches in Ukraine. Kindle, we pray in every heart, the true love of peace, and guide with your wisdom those who take counsel for the nations of this earth. We pray that there would be tranquility and that peace would increase. We know that the governments of this world cannot give us a lasting peace, but we pray there would be a, a, uh, a, a portion of peace for the nations in this world. And we pray that, that, would, um, that as we live in this world, when Christ comes, we pray that we would see that peace brought to its fullness in him. We pray for all the nations, for those who lead them, for the refugees that pass through the nations. We, ask you, uh, we pray for China to respect the sovereignty of other nations and not to try to take them over and use them and exploit them for their own political purposes. We pray for Russia to stop its attack on Ukraine. We pray for the leaders in North Korea to show dignity to their citizens as human beings and to stop threatening war. We pray for Iraq 
in Afghanistan, for Palestine and Israel. We pray for our own leaders and those who govern us. We pray that the um, polarization in our nation would be reduced and there would be more of a willingness to work together and to listen to each other and to seek improvement of life in in our nation um, together. Hear our prayers for these nations. Merciful Father, let the cry of those in misery and need come to you, that they may find help in time of need. Give us the strength to help those in the name of Christ who come uh, into our orbit, who need our aid. We pray for the hungry and the homeless, the destitute, the oppressed. We pray for the sick and the wounded, for those who are lonely and afraid and depressed, for those in need of work, for those who face temptation and doubt and despair. We pray for the sorrowful and bereaved, for prisoners and captives, for the exploited, for all these difficulties and hardships. We pray for, the, for those who come to mind. Hear our prayers. And for those in need in this congregation and among our friends, for those who need comfort and strength and healing, we pray for them, for Bob and Fawn, for Eduardo and Shirley, for Jeff and Linda, for Tammy's family, for Becky and Margaret, for Angie, for Bob, Vicki, Jane, Karen, Phil, Tom, Dominic, and others we name to you in silence. Hear our prayers for their healing and grace to uphold them in their trials. Gracious Father, you are the creator of all the peoples of this earth. Have compassion on those who do not know you as you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. Let your gospel be preached with grace and power to those who have not heard it. Turn the hearts of those who resist you and bring home to your fold those who have gone astray so that there would be one flock under one shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray for those who have never heard the word of salvation, for those who have lost their faith, for those hardened by sin and indifference, for the contemptuous and scornful, for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ and those who persecute the church. We pray for those who mock us because of our faith in Christ. Here are our prayers that you will open their hearts to your salvation, that you would turn them to yourself in humility and repentance by your grace that you give through Jesus Christ. Here are our prayers for any of these who come to mind. We make our prayers to you in the power of your Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
Father, who has not spared your own Son, but delivered him up for us all, and who with him has freely given us all things. Receive these offerings which we bring and dedicate to you, and enable us with all our gifts so to yield ourselves to you, that with body, soul, and spirit, we may truly and freely serve you, and in your service find our deepest joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. And join with me as we pray for God's illumination on our reading. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, for calling us to worship you throughout our lives and today in particular. And we thank you for a chance now to hear your word read and hear uh, preaching, and we pray that by your Spirit we would understand what we hear, uh, that we would take to heart your wisdom, and that you would uh, edify and preserve us through the reading and preaching of the Word. We know that only you can open our hearts to these things, and we pray that you would do that now, in Christ's name, amen. Our Old Testament reading is... Daniel chapter 12, the final chapter of Daniel. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it, shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, 
O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Our Psalter response together comes from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm sorry. The name of the Lord is to be praised. And his glory above the heavens, who is seated on high, on the heavens and the earth, and lifts the needy from the ash heap, with the princes of his people, making her the joyous mother of children. My apologies for losing my line. Our epistle reading this morning comes from Second Thessalonians, chapter one, verses five through twelve. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, our gospel reading comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. We have a way of drawing God onto our side. That would be, or could be, how we hear Daniel 12, especially after the previous chapters that tell the stories of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Persia and Greece, and Antiochus IV. These leaders and nations brought crisis and tribulation upon the Jews. It's easy to want revenge. Give them what they deserve, O God, to smack them down. Give those who afflict us what they deserve. Accordingly, God begins to sound like a God who lines up on our side and pounds the other side. Some of the Psalms sound like this, at least on the surface, and there are parts of Scripture that talk about the vengeance of God, like Romans 12, our epistle lesson today also did, but Romans 12 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, and it quotes from Deuteronomy 32, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But this idea that God gets on our side, that he lines up behind us, that he's on our team and not your team, flips us and God around. Daniel 12 has something to say to us that keeps God above us, not behind us. So I'll put this another way. It's almost football season and the rivalries are flaring up or will flare up. And I guess you could say it is football season, it's preseason. There will be those who line up behind Michigan. No names will be given in the sermon. There will be those who line up behind Michigan State. When it comes to Ohio, everyone roots for any, everyone in Michigan roots for any Michigan team to defeat Ohio State. It's interesting how we all come together when it's Ohio State. And now the conference rivalries will increase with the addition of some Pacific Coast teams to the Big Ten. Well, okay, not everyone likes sports, but there are plenty of other rivalries that grab hold of us. Fossil fuels versus electric. Ford versus Toyota. Starbucks versus Big B Coffee, and so on and so on. So we live in a society that breeds rivalries. And many of these rivalries, if not all of them, are insignificant, like the football rivalries. We step back for a minute and realize, okay, that's really not as significant as the fans want to make it out to be. But that doesn't stop us from acting like they're all important. 
And there are those who even try to put God on their side, on their team. They pray and ask God to help their team win. And it can be very confusing when both sides pray that God will help their team win. And it raises the question, is God an Ohio State fan or is he a University of Michigan fan? Does God give customer reviews for coffee? Can you imagine looking up uh, some product, scrolling down the reviews, and there's one from God. The French roast at Starbucks is far superior to Bigby's French roast. Or the Ford F-150 has more power than the Toyota pickup truck for hauling heavy trailers. So we laugh at this, but it's easy for us in our consumer culture to enlist God on our side. However, some things in life are of utmost importance. They are more than a rivalry. They are about life and death and good and evil and right and wrong. Religion has to do with ultimate things, and religion naturally has to do with God. So here again, we can bring God into our rivalry and say God is for us and against you. There's team Christian and then all the other teams. This actually trivializes God and what he's doing in the world. Daniel 12 has something to say to us that is far more important than which team is going to win. Now, our reading from Daniel is about vindication. Daniel Daniel chapter 12 has a very important point in it about vindication, God's vindication. And it's more more than just justice for God's people. Now, this is a good time to review the terrible crisis that came upon the Jews after they returned to Judah and Jerusalem. It was terrible for the Jews, and that I've always looked for synonyms. I keep that, that, I go to that websites that give me synonyms for words because I feel like I use that word too much or that word's not strong enough, and I just cannot come up with a word that's strong enough to talk about how horrible the situation was for the Jews, like Daniel and his three friends, who wanted to be faithful to God and to his covenant when they were in Babylon. Just remember the danger they were in when King Nebuchadnezzar set up his golden statue and required his officials to bow down to it. Recall that Daniel prayed to God contrary to the decree of the Persians, and he was thrown into the um, fiery furnace. Remember also fierce armies and battles between Alexander the Great and the Persians and the Seleucid Empire in Syria and the Ptolemaic Empire in Egypt and how they marched back and forth through the land of Judah, endangering the people and shuttering the cities and farms. But the crisis came to a head with Antiochus IV. With him, the crisis turned into a tribulation for the Jews. And it was not just with the leaders like Daniel and his three friends. It was not just with the priests and the merchants. It was a tribulation for everyone who was a Jew. The whole people of God were in tribulation. We heard from Daniel how Antiochus wanted to Hellenize Judah and the Jews, or in other words, make them Greek. Essentially, Antiochus wanted to annihilate the Jews by making them Greeks. You can annihilate a people not just by killing them all, but by trying to turn them into something they're not. And they're not. And in this case, something that, that uh, God had made them to be Jews who would be faithful to his covenant. And um, Antiochus wanted to make them Greeks. It's the same kind of desire that the Chinese have for the Uyghur people. They've herded this people together into internment camps in China, 
and they want to re-educate the Uyghurs. And I think re-education means a whole lot more than mental instruction. But they want to re-educate the Uyghurs to be Chinese. And in a sense, they're going to annihilate the Uyghurs. In the land of Judah, Antiochus IV set up Greek schools and cultural centers, and these were all places that the Jews were expected to, to visit and to attend and to learn the ways of the Greeks. He set up Greek laws. He enforced those laws. There were Jews who were put to death for not complying. The angel Gabriel in Daniel chapter 8 told Daniel that he, Antiochus, shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. What is more, Antiochus IV tried to terminate the worship of the Jews. He sent his army into Jerusalem, and they took control of the temple, the very heart of Jewish faith and life, where they would meet with God. And then he set up an altar to Zeus in the temple and began offering, or had his men begin offering abominable sacrifices on it. To further facilitate the Greek worship in Jerusalem, Antiochus replaced the Jewish high priest with someone who would do what Antiochus wanted. He authorized Jason to be the high priest, and Jason was committed to Antiochus' program of Greek reform for the Jews. By the way, Jason didn't live up to all the standards that that Antiochus had, so he had Jason replaced with another uh, Jewish priest whose name was Menelaus, Menelaus, a Jew named Menelaus. During the, the tribulation of Antiochus, there were Jews abandoning the worship and life that God had established for them. This was a huge problem. There were Jews adopting the pagan ways of the Greeks. There were Jews who would go to that temple and worship there when offerings were being made to Zeus. They probably did this because it's easier to acquiesce to those in power than to try to withstand them. Or maybe they were just simply afraid of the Greeks. However... There were also Jews who fought against Antiochus and his army, and most notably they were the family of the Maccabees. They led a revolt against Antiochus. Because of Antiochus IV, the Jews and Judah were torn in two, pushed to abandon their faith and turn away from God. But Antiochus was not content to turn the Jews into Greeks. He wanted to take control of God himself. In the words of the divine messenger in chapter 11, verse 36, Antiochus, uh, the messenger says, Antiochus shall do as he wills. He will exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. And in chapter 8, Gabriel says, and he he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, that's God himself. Antiochus would bring his rebellion to God, which he did by desecrating the altar of God in the temple and by trying to steal God's people away from him. What Antiochus did to the Jews and to God was a terrible crisis. And Daniel 12 describes it as a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. And that's a way of saying it was a horrific time for God's people. Since Israel became a nation, the Jews had been attacked by the surrounding cities and kingdoms. That was not new. That had happened almost from the time they left Egypt, once they got out in the wilderness. The Philistines, the Moabites, had killed God's people and plundered their fields and livestock. The Assyrians had invaded the land of Judah. 
But none of these nations had tried to annihilate Israel by taking over its tabernacle and temple. The Babylonians conquered Judah. They destroyed the temple, but they did not turn it into a pagan temple. There is a bit of a difference there. There had been kings and kingdoms that had attacked God's people and killed many of them, but they had not tried to attack God. Some of the generals and kings who attacked Israel and and Judah spoke arrogantly, and they even spoke words that were challenging God, like the Rabshakeh from Assyria. He was like the top general from the Assyrian army who stood outside the walls of Jerusalem and cried out to the Jews who were on the walls. They were all lined up on the walls looking down at the Assyrian army, and the Rabshakeh comes out and yells out um, these words. He says, He says, uh, do not let Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah, make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. Do not listen to him. There's a challenge in that. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to ascend to heaven and be the supreme ruler of the cosmos. He wanted to make himself like God. And as bold as that is, he did not try to go to war against God. He just wanted to make himself the highest. Now, that's a terrible thing by itself, but... He wasn't trying to go to war against God. But the divine messenger in Daniel exposes Antiochus as actually going to war with God himself. Well, God had a message for Daniel and the Jews in their day, and it's a message for us. And that's in verses 2 through 3. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. God would restore his people to life. The Jews in Judah were being annihilated by Antiochus. God would raise them up. Verse 3 uses the metaphor of lying down and being wakened up. Resurrection is what we think of as Christians here, and it gets much attention. Daniel chapter 12 gets much attention as an Old Testament text that supports the Christian doctrine of resurrection. And obviously, we think of that because of Jesus' resurrection. So we might start to run with this text, run um, even past Daniel, And that's not all bad because we want to read the Old Testament with the New Testament. But we should stop and think about what Daniel's saying, what what this is saying in Daniel itself. And the main point of our lesson from Daniel is God's vindication. Now, God's vindication is more than just our vindication. Like I said, there's been a shift in our modern times from God to us, where we kind of put ourselves at the center instead of God at the center. And so it's easy to just immediately think of these things always for us. Our society has put ourselves at the center of everything rather than God. Our happiness is at the center, our life, our plans, our greatness. And if, it, if there's any kind of consideration of God, our salvation, but it's for us, it's our salvation And true to form, when we hear of God's vindication, we think of our own vindication first. And we Christians need plenty of vindication. We need vindication. Our beliefs are attacked and our faith is ridiculed. Christian moral teaching has been called out as unbiblical. At least some of it has. I just saw a news report about a media project called 1946 that claims that the word 
homosexual was not used in translations of the Bible until after 1946. After 1946, Bible translations began to use that word because of growing acceptance of that behavior in society. And it's curious how people can distort things to fit their agenda and sometimes intentionally distort things because they have an agenda. We all do this, but we, we need to be called out on it when we do. In this case, the agenda is to take away the authority of Scripture from holding up the Christian argument against homosexual behavior. That word was not in the Bible. This is what they claim. That word was not in the Bible, therefore the Bible does not oppose it. Now, that totally disregards that Scripture calls the behavior sinful with more technical language, maybe not using that word per se in the Greek, but with more technical language in 1 Corinthians 6. And it uses euphemistic language in Romans 1 that describes the immorality of sinful humanity that has fallen under God's judgment. And it has these verses in Romans 1. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, were consumed with passion for one another. And then there's that word fornication that is in the Bible, and it's a very general classification that catches up all kinds of sexually immoral behavior. The Bible does not have to use that word exactly, the literal word, to refer to something. It's just like we don't always have to use the exact word to refer to something in our own common language. But that being said, here's the point. We Christians would like vindication of our moral teaching. We're standing up for this. We're saying, no, that's wrong. And we're saying that the Scripture teaches that it's wrong, that homosexuality is wrong. We would like vindication on that point. We listen to Scripture. We want God to vindicate us. We also want vindication that our worship is the true worship received by God. There's all kinds of worship that happens in this world, not just Christian worship. And that other kind of worship, is that equal to Christian worship? Is that something that's acceptable to God, like our worship? So we would like vindication that our worship is the true worship that's received by God through Jesus Christ. And there are many other things we'd like God to vindicate. That there is a God. You know, we live in a culture, it's sort of a new modern phenomenon, but that doesn't even think there's any higher being, there's any transcendent reality. And so we Christians do believe that and teach that. We'd like that vindicated. You know, God, could you just make that clear to everyone? That he dwells with us by the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but we believe he's dwelling within each of us and that he's dwelling within us as the body of Christ, that he's He's with us present, you know, when we come to the Lord's table, we would like that vindicated, that we're saved from our sin and God's judgment by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, we'd like that vindicated, there, that those who assault Christians are wrong. You're wrong to do that, to assault Christians because they're Christians. We'd like that vindicated. We want vindication. And certainly God will vindicate us. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 speaks of God raising up to everlasting life the Jews who were faithful and the ones who were unfaithful to shame and everlasting contempt. It's talking about the Jews who were faithful to God in the days of Antiochus. They shall be vindicated. God cares for us. Our epistle lesson from 2 Thessalonians says, Indeed, God deems it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, verse 6. 
It angers him to see his people attacked because of their faithfulness. It pains him to see his people suffer because they love him and worship him. And right now, God is aggrieved at how the Christians, his people, are being assaulted in Pakistan, in Lamapur, India. God will vindicate us. But God's vindication is about much more than us. God vindicates his way. So in our lesson this morning from Daniel 12, there are a couple of lines that indicate God's vindication is about more than us. And in verse 3, it says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And this verse also says, Those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like stars forever and ever. Wisdom and righteousness are a way. They are God's way in this world. Daniel is a book about wisdom. In fact, Daniel is identified as the conveyor of God's wisdom, much more than being a prophet. In fact, he's never exactly called a prophet in this book, but he is referred to as a man full of wisdom. Belshazzar's wife said, Light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. God gives wisdom and righteousness to know how to live in this world and how to attain everlasting life. The Jews, during the crisis of Antiochus, who followed this way, are the ones who were raised up to everlasting life. And there are all other kinds of ways to follow in this world. There's spirituality and religions. There's seeking pleasure and making the most of this life for ourselves. Following the science, as they say, as good as science is, it can be set out as the way. Different ideologies like Marxism and exclusive humanism and so on. There are all kinds of ways in this world. However, what scripture tells us is that God does not vindicate any of those other ways. There might be some good things about them. I appreciate a lot of things about science. But God doesn't vindicate it as the way. The way that leads to everlasting life, the way that God vindicates, is the way of his wisdom and righteousness. And throughout scripture we hear this. In Deuteronomy 30, the Lord tells Israel, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, then you shall live and multiply in the land he gives you. Proverbs is a book of wisdom about the way of God. Proverbs 4 verse 11 says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Throughout scripture, we hear about the way of the Lord And God vindicates not just his faithful people, but the way that he is set out in this world. So when all is said and done in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, all the hardship for Daniel and his three friends, the great crisis with the Persians and the Greeks, Alexander the Great, Antiochus IV, it's about God's way and being faithful to it, because that was at the heart of the crisis for the Jews in those days. But we can't stop with Daniel. God's way of wisdom and righteousness finally comes down to us with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way of God. He's the wisdom of God. He is the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church that God made Jesus Christ our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. In the Gospel of John, Jesus calls himself the way. Jesus is not simply the way to these things. He is the way the wisdom, and the righteousness of God. And therefore, when we come to Jesus, we come to the way of God. 
God raised Jesus from the dead. We had our gospel lesson remind us of that. Jesus, uh, God raised Jesus from the dead, and that was Jesus' vindication. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He is our salvation. The resurrection of Jesus vindicates him as the sacrifice for our sin. If there was no resurrection, do you understand what that means? It, mean, it would mean that man's condemnation of Jesus would remain. But the resurrection means, no, that was wrong. That was the wrong judgment. The right judgment is that Jesus is the Christ. He is our salvation. God raised Jesus Christ because he's not sinful and he's not an imposter. The resurrection is God's yes to Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is also our vindication. Through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins. We are part of God's new creation. We are right with God. Our trust in Christ is not a waste. The resurrection of Jesus says that Christ did, not, uh, did die for us to reconcile us to God. We are God's redeemed people. But God's resurrection of Jesus Christ also vindicates that he's the way to life and blessing with God. Jesus is the way. The Jews needed to hear that the way to God was being faithful to God because so many of them were being drawn away after the Greeks. They needed to hear that. Not abandoning the way that way during terrible crisis in the time of Antiochus or any other horrible crisis. That's not the way. The way is the way that God has given to you um, to follow. Today, for us in the United States, there's the crisis of modernity. Did you ever, when you were a kid, little kid, maybe the Klaus kids have done this, um, ever get a big box or your Somebody gave you a big box, and you put it over yourself when you were a kid. And if you didn't do that, well, we did that in our house. And I'm talking about a big box like a refrigerator box. I don't even know if refrigerators come in boxes anymore, but in our time they did. It was a big box, and we would play inside that box for hours. It would be over on top of us, and we'd be playing in it for hours. And it's like this with our society. Our society has put a huge box over itself, and it sits inside and believes that the only thing that matters is inside the box. That reality stops at the walls of the box. There's nothing beyond the box. All we have is ourselves inside the box, and there's no way to go beyond the box. The only way for us is just to move around inside the box. And it's rather sad, quite frankly. The limits of the box are quite stifling. Every kid knows that because after playing in it for a while, you say, I want to get out of here. You tip it over and you crawl away. But our society doesn't seem to get that. The limits of the box are stifling. God's vindication shows shows us that there is a way that takes us out of the limits of the box. And that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't reject what's inside the box. There are good things in the box, but it, does, it, it takes us to bigger things than what are inside the box. And we're to show people who are in our society that this is the way of Jesus Christ to God. The holy messenger said to Daniel, go your way till the end. And these words I speak to you, go your way till the end, which is the way of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom we have nowhere to go, increase and multiply upon us your mercy. 
that with you as our ruler and guide, passing through things temporal, we lose not the things eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and is incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory, the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, we sing our hymn number 279, Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands.
We do collect our DACL offering this day. Please come forward to collect it. Eternal God, our sovereign Lord, we acknowledge all we are, all we have is yours. Give us such a love of your infinite grace and holy sacrifice on the cross that we may gratefully love you and our neighbor. To you we all honor and glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The scripture says the Lord has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Those are wonderful words to come to the table. And the remembering is a very active remembering. And so we are remembering here, but not just in the passive sense of these things happened and we just remember they happened, but in the sense that they're being celebrated and we're participating in them. And one of the ways that we make that known to the world is by having the sacrament. We also make them known to each other. Um, and of course, it, it fosters our praise to God. The scriptures say Jesus instituted this meal and he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We receive Christ as he makes himself known and is present in scripture, sermon, and sacrament. And having again heard the voice of Christ in scripture and sermon, let us now come to his table and receive his gifts. All who have been baptized, who have professed faith publicly in Jesus Christ, are communicant members of the Christian church, are welcome to come and share this joyful feast of our Lord. Join me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, good Father to us all, your face is turned towards your world. You have judged the creation as falling into sin, but you have not rejected your creation. In love, you gave us Jesus, your Son, to rescue us from sin and death, and to be that way back to you. Your word goes out to bring us home to the city where the angels sing your praise, and we join them in heaven's song. 
Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Father of all, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven, but especially for Jesus Christ. Into the darkness of this world, Jesus came as the light of your salvation. With his word and deeds, he touched those who were unclean with love and grace and washed the guilty clean. We remember how the crowds came out to see your son, and yet in the end they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his disciples to set out this meal for your people. Jesus blessed you, Father, for the meal. He took the bread, gave thanks, and gave it to his disciples. He also took the cup, gave it to his disciples, and said, Do this in remembrance of me. And therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate his death upon the cross in order to set us free. Defeating death, he rose again and is alive with you as our eternal Savior, and do intercede for us and for your whole church. By the Spirit uniting us with Christ, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all who share this meal offer ourselves to live for you and be welcomed at your feast in heaven where all creation worships you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we offer this prayer to you, we pray together and say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, that through preaching and the sacrament, your Son, Jesus Christ, has offered himself to us, who is the true bread from heaven, the food of eternal life, and the way to everlasting life with you. So strengthen us in your service, that our daily living may show our thanks and point people to your way, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. The final hymn is number 267, The Day of Resurrection. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen.
Uh, please be seated and good morning to you all. Um, direct your attention to the uh, Life Together insert um, for uh, upcoming events. Uh, for this morning, uh, you'll notice that uh, Elder Kelly is not here to lead on Gentle and Lowly, so you'll be getting a special edition, uh, Spellbinding Stories from Church History uh, with Jeff Wilson. So uh, we invite uh, sort of combining the, the usual older, older youth class with the adult class um, and uh, He's a man who knows how to tell a good story, so I, I have no no doubt that we will be spellbound, uh, as promised. Um, just keeping in mind our, our ability to, uh, or opportunity uh, from God to be of service to our community, to the world around us, uh, so please continue to, uh, uh, when you go to the grocery store, despite rising prices, bring something for the diaconal pantry that we can uh, share with those who have uh, need, as well as uh, cleaning supplies and, uh, and other simple home decorations for the Arab American Friendship Center. Um, and uh, we also have uh, another of the opportunities we have is to, uh, to eat together and, and celebrate. So we actually have on uh, Celebrate Recoveries is having a missionary um, speaker and dinner this Saturday. Is that correct, Amy? Saturday evening. Um, and uh, Amy, of course, will have more information on that. And then on our next Lord's Day, we will have um, a, uh, our fellowship meal for September already. Um, and um, there are, of course, other things uh, listed here um, for upcoming events, and you can check dates on that. But does anybody have anything from the floor? Mrs. Wilson. So bring something that complements that. Yeah, if it doesn't complement it, we won't take fun of Okay. Very good. So in case, uh, for those watching at home, uh, the, um, the Celebrate Recovery meal is at 6 p.m. on Saturday, and the theme is Italian, um, but uh, I don't think anything will be turned away. If it's, you know, if you bring bratwurst, I think you're, you're still okay. Does it, does it say 6 o'clock in the bulletin? Yeah. It does, yes. Okay. All right. Um, did, I, I think an email went out about the, um, how to help the people in Maui. Is that true? No? Okay. Because I got an email, so I thought I was going to send it out. I must have forgotten. Um, we don't have an OPC church there, but there is a PCA church, and the um, Missions to North America, which is the PCA branch of churches within North America, um, they are actively trying to collect. And so the, this email is from the OPC talking about how you can jump in with that if you want to um, somehow uh, you know, send aid that way. So I'll try to find it and get it out to you. So I've got a buddy, so we've reconnected, and he was stationed there, and then he took his kids back to Maui every year, you know, for years. He's a pilot now, and he says, just devastating what's happened. Um, so, you know, we, we obviously want to help the people there. Um, so I'll try to get that out. Cool. Any other announcements from the floor? Mrs. Roberts. Uh, the tornadoes 
and saw the one was down in Newport, and she had her, her hand on Matthew, who aren't here today, but, and Matthew said it was uh, right down the street from their home and destroyed so many trailers and houses there. So, wow. It's pretty close to that. Yeah. Yes, Mrs. Wilson. Okay, to, for, for those at home to, uh, I guess, attempt to summarize the last few things from the floor, um, just, I guess, continue to be in prayer for several um, former members, friends, and, and relatives of the congregation, both for uh, those affected by um, uh, disasters, uh, tornadoes, and the, the fires in Maui, uh, as well as for medical considerations and um, perhaps a... a kind of prayer update email will be sent out uh, consolidating some of those uh, details for those who um, are at home but would like to know. Um, cool. Anybody else from the floor? Fantastic. Oh, I saw a hand go up, but it's one of my children, and I refuse to acknowledge them. Um, so let's uh, enjoy some time of fellowship together and then be back soon for spellbinding stories from Christian history.